This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart. You're listening to Keep Screaming, a horror podcast from two best friends dissecting horror movies one by one. My name is Ryan Larson. And my name is B-Bass. Every two weeks, we will bring you a brand new episode where we dissect a slasher film from top to bottom. We will look at the movie as a whole, going over the story, the casting, music choices, go kill by kill, and then rank it on how it succeeds as a slasher film. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ScreamingCast or by searching Keep Screaming. You can find me at B not B, that's B-E-E, not B-E-A, and Ryan at Ryan Larson. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and CastBox, or online at podpeople.me or keepscreaming.com. This week, we are dissecting 2019's Happy Death Day to You, directed by Christopher Landon. But first, our pop culture check-in. For new listeners, our pop culture check-in is a chance for you to get to know what we've been watching, reading, and consuming outside of our movie this week, as well as life updates. Uh, we had a busy week because B had her baby shower this week. I did. My baby was showered. We showered all the babies. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, there were lots of fun games to be had, not like weird, disgusting ones where you melt chocolate and put them in diapers and make people guess what chocolate bar it is. Yeah, that's a real game that yeah. people play. I don't know how many of. I feel like we have like a male-dominated listenership, mm-hmm. but um, I don't know how many of you have been to baby showers. But I mean, I had a co-ed one because um, I thought it would be weird not to. My husband's also having a baby, not just me. And also, most of her best, like not most of, but a lot of her best friends are male. Yes, and so it'd be very weird not to have them there. Be like, no, sorry, you can't come. But anywho, I'll get off that soapbox. <laughs> Um, yeah, baby shower games are weird. There's one where you can, like, measure, you're supposed to guess the size of, like, the woman's belly with a string, and then everybody has to go around and see, like, you cut a string and then see how close you are. No fucking thank you. Get away from my stomach. Let's not pretend how big or not big I am. Yeah, and then how offended would you be if someone's like, fuck, this is a huge-ass string, and it, like, doesn't even get close. And you're like, cool. Yeah, I'd be really sad. Yeah. It's hard enough to look at my body and go, oh, cool, I'm massive, and I don't look like myself. Then to have everybody be like, yeah, I think she's about yay big, and it'd be ginormous. No, thank you. How big round are you? Yeah. So we did not do that. And the perks of me being a graphic designer is I designed all my games. That, and I didn't yeah. get to play, but they were I fun. Think they were cool. Yeah, they were cool. Um, everyone had a lot of fun with them, and then um, you got a ton of gifts. I did. For your baby. My baby. Lots of cute spoiled. stuff. Yeah. Another myth, I think, is that I'm having a boy, um, and everybody's like, oh, but the clothes for girls are so much cuter. I'm like, yeah, I don't think you really know that. And then, sure enough, everything I got is really adorable. Yep. Lots of bears and dinosaurs mm-hmm. and little knitted things and i just can't wait to put him in them they're so cute it's all very cute we're ready for him to pop out yeah we're ready yeah. for him we're ready get for him that all phase. dressed get him in those clothes but yeah so it's very busy doing all that ryan came over on friday and helped with my other two best friends who like party played the shit out of it so it was very successful very great day we are very lucky and loved yeah and we um Got to watch the, I got the Scream Factory, uh, a Valentine for B yes. for her birthday, which just passed. 
and um we watched that yeah we watched that while we got everything ready so it was it was a it was a solid weekend as far as watching goes i i did not watch a lot uh but i did i have an umbrella academy tattoo so i thought it pretty necessary that as soon as the series drop i binge it and i did finish the series in probably two days um if you guys don't know the umbrella academy is a dark horse comic by gerard way who's the lead singer of my chemical romance or was the lead singer that they don't are they are um guess on hiatus i was like are they disbanded yeah i think they are technically um but when's the last time they put out an album was it black parade no it was um oh there was one yeah fabulous killjoys which i love that album but that was probably oh nine i want to say maybe 2010 um but yeah it's him He's a writer and the artist is Gabriel Ba. Um, it's one of my favorite comic books ever. There's two volumes of it, and the third one is currently being put out. Um, but Netflix announced last year that they had picked it up and optioned it. Um, and it's a relatively unknown cast. Um, you'll see some people that you're like, oh, I recognize that person, other than Ellen Page. She's definitely like the biggest name they got on board for it. Um, and then if you ever watched um, Misfits, which was a BBC show, um, Robert Sheehan from that, who I forget the name of his character on that show, but he basically plays the same character in Umbrella Academy. But it's basically kind I don't know of how a, I feel about that when that happens. Like if, I, when, if you really like the character, then it's kind of cool to see that person playing a similar character. Right, but yeah. then also it feels kind of cheap. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Um,. I think I liked it because he's definitely like he's he's bisexual in this and like it's very well done and it was nice to see something someone like that. Uh, but you watched the whole thing. I did, and it was really good. Um, the it's it's very different, not very different. There are lots of, I mean, a comic book is twenty two pages on average, and a trade like um, so you know each. Each series, I think, was five issues, four or five issues. So you're looking at like 100 pages to work with of like art. So you know, it's not even 100 pages of book. So there are definitely when you put that into 10 episodes of a series that are all roughly an hour long. That's a lot of stuff you have to expand on. Yeah. And I think they did. And what I really like is Gabriel Ba and Gerard Way were on set and like they helped with the making of the show. And so all of the expansions to these characters, like um. There are these two like hitman characters named Hazel and Cha Cha, and their story is vastly expanded, and they all feel very true to the universe and like not out of place and not like weird or drawn out. Yeah. Um, and it's because partially because the they creators were there, were there yeah. and they could make sure that it wouldn't feel out of place. Um, but yeah, it's like kind of a spin of the X Men. Like basically, Dreadway mm-hmm. said like he wanted to make it feel like the X Men. But also a little bit like this comic called The Doom Patrol, um, which he ended up writing eventually. And the synopsis is batshit crazy. It's basically like 40-something babies are all born on the same day from women who weren't pregnant. And this guy goes around and he's like a a reclusive billionaire. um, And he offers to adopt all of them and he gets seven of them. And so he names them all by their, no- their number one, two, three, four, through seven. And they all have powers except for one of them. And he's, like, training them to be superheroes, pretty much. Um, but unlike Professor X, he is, like, not a father figure at all. Even though he is their quote-unquote father, like, he is basically, like, a, uh, you know, like a, a drill a sergeant. Yeah, yeah, a trainer. Um, so they had, like, a very weird upbringing. And they're all, like, 
brother and sister, but not at all. And they all... Like the Twilight kids? Yeah. But they're all born on the same day at the exact same time. So they're all the same exact age. Um, But, you know, they're all from... They're all very different, like, looking, and they all have different powers, but they had the same upbringing. And it's just a... I mean... um, the tagline is super period dysfunctional period family which works like really well um i think for the show because that's what it's about it's about this like dysfunctional family that happens to have superpowers and like all the fucking weird shit that happens um and there are some things that don't get as weird as a comic and then there are some things that stay equally just like true to it and so as a huge massive fan of the comic book like i said i have the umbrella academy insignia tattooed on my forearm I think it stayed super true to the to the comic, and I'm they they is it just one season? It is, yeah. And they actually did touch a lot of the stuff that they touched upon in the second series, like the second volume. So if they did another season, they would have to either do the the one they're making right now, like the comic, or Gerard Way would probably have to write something original for it. Um, but it seems like I got a lot of positive feedback. Like, people really liked it. Yeah, I want to watch it. I read, you bought me, I see, I don't know how many, because Ryan just buys me comics of things he thinks I'll like, and then I do like them, but then I never expand upon it. Um, and so you bought me, like, a book. Yeah. You know? But yeah. I don't know how many that is. I think it's, um, it's the first volume. And so, how many volumes are part the only of two. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's only two. So um, it's the first volume, um, which is called The Apocalypse So that Suite. really isn't a lot of material to go no, off of. No, no, not at all. Um, they basically cover the whole second volume in this show. Like, yeah. So they had to use both, but, like, it's weird because they had to use both, but technically they only pulled certain things from the second one. Yeah. Because they didn't pull, like, the ultimate, like, um, conflict from it. Um, they still stuck, like, the conflict of the first one was still, like, the beginning, middle, and end gotcha. of, this, of this one. They just added the elements that got introduced in yeah. the second one. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Interesting. Yeah, but it's... I'll have to re... Well, I'll have to get the second one and read the whole thing and then watch yeah. it. Because I remember really liking it when you got it for mm-hmm. me. It's... Well, because you had it as a tattoo, you are like, no, you don't have to make fun of my tattoo. This <laughs> is really good. Yeah. No, it's... If you guys haven't read it, I encourage you to check it out. It's... It's fantastic. It's really good. I remember art-wise it giving me sort of like Lemony Snicket, like series of unfortunate events vibes. Very much. Yeah. yeah. Gabriel Ba is a, one of my favorite artists. His style is super unique. Like yeah. no one else in comics does what he does, like the way he does it. Um, and it definitely fits the tone of the comic yeah. really well. That's why it was really cool when I was watching behind the scenes stuff. A lot of the time, unfortunately, when artists... When, when comic books get adapted, like, artists are kind of left behind. Like, a lot of the time, the writer will be there because, like, they're a writer. So, like, right. they're working on the screen play and stuff. And sometimes the artist is, like, designs inspired by. And um, it's not like they're there with the art department. Right. But, the you, set the, but they forget that it's the artist is creating the story, too. Especially when it's a comic like Umbrella Academy where it's not, like... It's not like X-Men. You're not a filler writer who jumped in and you're writing like 40 issues of X-Men or whatever and then you jump out and write another comic. It's right. you created this yeah. with this person. Yeah. So it's much more collaborative experience. Exactly. Yes. But that's what I did. Yeah. Watched all 10 episodes of Royal Academy. Little Benger. Yes. Um, I didn't watch too... I mean, I'm sure I did. I'm just really forgetting. It's been kind of a blurry couple weeks. A lot going on. Um, 
like Brian said, getting ready for my baby shower and all that stuff. I helped my mom move mm. the house that she's lived in for... Oh, that's why. I was like, why didn't I do... That's why. Um, the house that my mom's lived in since I was like 12. Um, she... Well, I don't live there anymore, obviously. But I lived there from like 12 to 19 when I moved out with my husband. Um, and that was weird for me. It was weird to like... That's the longest my mom's ever lived anywhere. And that was basically, like, the closest thing you can get to, like, a childhood home. So it was kind of weird to, like, clean out. Like, my all my stuff has been out of my bedroom forever. And it's actually been, like, a different room. But there was still, like, a couple things left over. And it was just weird to, like, have an empty house and know that, like, the next time I see my mom, it's not going to be there. But... She's a first-time homeowner now, so it's very, very exciting um, and, you know, very proud and rewarding um, to to do that with her. So there's a lot of, like, life stuff. But I did um, – I've been chipping away at Harry Potter number five, um, which Ryan talked about a few weeks ago about how he strugg- really struggled to get through that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and – it's just so, it's weird. It's very different. Book five is so different from any of the four predecessors. Yeah. Um, it it almost feels like, um, it's going to be a really weird comparison, but I read the Princess Diaries series, which um, are written by Meg Cabot, who's a very big like YA author, yeah. um, very talented. And obviously Princess Diaries, the movie is extremely famous with Anne Hathaway and, um, Julie Andrews, Julie Andrews. but the book series is so different, like very, very, very different. But then there's like 12 of them. Um, but they would have like half books in the series. Oh, weird. So it would be like Princess in the Spotlight would be like number four. And then why you were waiting for the next book in the series to come out. Cause I read them why they were being published um there'd be like a half book out and it would be like book four and a half and it would be like just some little story like mia um weekend trip and it'd be like a half novel and that's almost what five feels like and almost feels like a half book where they're just like really trying to get into like necessary character developments that play a bigger role in later but it's really one of the only books so far that doesn't have like a big like Voldemort is it does but not in a very not in the same way as the previous four where it's like here's a problem and here's what we do to solve it during the middle and then here's the big climax it's kind of like here's a lot of stuff that's going on and then all of a sudden it's like earth shattering climax yeah and I'm like right about, I'm like re- literally like at the point where I'm about to like get to the horrible climax of this book. I'm almost done. But it's very interesting. No, like I said, that one's hard for me because it's just like everything that can go awful for Harry goes awful mm-hmm. for Harry. And it's just like, it's it's literally like, how much shit can we put on him? <laughs> right. It's like, oh, and now you can't play Quidditch. And yeah. now Umbridge is the fucking worst. Headmaster. And she's and like, also targeting you. Yeah. And like, ugh, it's just but it's rough. But there's also things like we get Luna in this book. And yeah. I always forget it's that long until we get Luna yeah. too. Yeah. And it's like a, the book where you really get to know Fred and George. Mm-hmm. Um, and like a lot, I feel like a lot of the relationships and character developments get fleshed out in these that get 
kind of ignored in the movies. Mm-hmm. So, like, as somebody who's, like, seen the movies more recently than you've read them, where as you're reading it, you're kind of like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Like, I forgot. Like, I forgot how big Fred and George are in the book. And in the in the movies, they're really not that prominent. Yeah. And they're much more, like, important characters in the book, and especially in this one. So, I'm excited and sad to, like, I mean, two, what? There's only seven. Yeah. Shit. I only have only got two more books after this. Yeah. It's going to be hard. Um, so chipping away at that, almost done. Um, and then I watched Cruel Intentions. Um, I just felt like, why are you laughing? That movie's fucking ridiculous. Nah. Yes. It's so absurd. It's so good. It's so incesty. It's not. Yeah. Nah, it's not incesty at all. They're not related. Uh, they're brother and sister. Nah. I mean, they are, but not really. They didn't grow up together. They're step-siblings, like, as high schoolers. I don't care. I think it's weird when it happens in Clueless, and I think it's weird when it happens here. No, what was the 90s obsession with, like... Hooking up with your step-siblings? Step-siblings I don't know. being, like, the love forbidden interest? love. Um, I'm so obsessed with this movie still. It is such a time capsule that I... I just love the whole, like, rich New York kids. Mm, that's why you like Gossip Girl. That's true. But it's so foreign to me as a poor California oh, kid. Yes, like it seems like a different. World. It doesn't seem like it could possibly exist. Yeah. I don't really know if it does. I don't think so. In my head, I just pretend it's only in Cruel Intentions and Gossip Girl. It's <laughs> yeah. not real, but yeah, I don't know. Who's I just like still think this movie. Girl in this? Selma Blair. Oh, it's Selma so Blair. Selma Bla- and Reese Witherspoon, but right. Selma Blair is the one who's like dumb, innocent, right. and Reese is just a good girl. Right, 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 right. And then Sarah Michelle Gellar and, and like Ryan a Phillip- total like oh. one eighty from Buffy. Yeah, it's just perfection. Their performances—it's ridiculous, but in the best way. And I don't know. I just—it's so melodramatic. Yeah. And, like, and soapy and over the top. Yeah. yeah, I it's it it hits all the right notes, guys. It's just really. Every performance just really gets to me, and it just is so weird. It doesn't make any sense, and none of these people come. Oh, and freaking Jackson, um, Joshua Jackson is in it oh, yeah. and plays like a flamboyant, yeah. like gay guy with his bleached hair, and it's just a beautiful time capsule. Is that why his hair was bleached for Urban Legend? I wonder if it was around the same time. I mean, it had to be filmed around, or maybe just having bleached hair. I don't remember Casey having it. bleached never, hair. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Maybe I don't tips. Know. Maybe tips. Now I'm going to look it up. And then, in honor of our movie today, I watched Forever My Girl, which is came out last year, and it's with Jessica um, Roth and, hmm. They came out a year apart, so maybe. Alex Rowe is the main character, and she's... The love interest, but it's really about the main guy. It's like a romantic drama film, very Nicholas Sparks, but it's not Nicholas Sparks. Um, But you would think it was one of his movies. It was fine. It was, uh, it was fine. I mean, it was, I like watching like cheesy romance movies. It's getting harder for me to not like see the unrealistic and damaging relationships that are often portrayed and this was definitely a very like damaging relationship and like not a good one so I had a hard time rooting for the couple and I wish that Jessica Roth was in it more so if like romantic dramas aren't really your thing but you want to watch it because of her you can skip it because she's kind of like 
she's not, she's not our star. She's not our star. She is really there to just help the main actor um, progress his story. It's about him, and she just happens to be a subplot in his life. But, I mean, she's a very vastly different character um, than what she plays in the Happy Death Day series. And so it's really, I mean, it's nice to see her. She's an incredible actress. Yeah, she's um, so good. I she's love her. really good. If you guys haven't read it, I'm going to self-plug here. And I actually got to contribute to an article for Dread Central. Um, Jonathan Barkin's the editor over there, and he asked some like horror journalists to ask, or he asked them to contribute to a piece I'm talking about like underappreciated like roles that need to be spotlight, like have a spotlight shown on them more. And I'm just saying, I I'm taking a little bit of credit for jumpstarting this love for her because this was like last month. I don't know, like it was definitely yeah. before Happy Death Day Two you came out, and I wrote about her performance in Happy Death Day. And then it's like two weeks later, everyone's like, Jessica Roth is the new final girl. And I was like, that's what I fucking wrote. I know. Like, yeah, I know. I said that. Here's a uh, credit. Here's links. Posted yeah. it first. Yeah, that's it's true. I did. So I'm taking credit on that one. You should take credit. I know. No, it's great. And that, that's why we like named her one of our final favorite final girls from last year mm-hmm. when we went over our movies because she's incredible. And so, I mean, with the Happy Death Day movies doing well and like this movie was financially successful. I mean, it was critically panned, but. Forever My Girl? Uh-huh, but kind of rightfully so. It came so. out last year? Yeah, but like January. I've never heard of it. Oh, yeah. Um, but it did well. Um, and so I'm hoping this gets our girl like into some stuff because she's i just i just need more yeah i absolutely. really do jessica roth like needs to be wow why is happy death day to you not doing what the first one did it's so good uh it's not there's a lot of uh articles that's been posting about the its performance in the states especially it's mm-hmm. done very well overseas i mean it's still very it's, it's financially successful yeah, 43 but mil against it's a to disappointment it. to the studio because yeah. um it's underdoing what was expected yeah um and we'll we'll talk about i have theories on why that is i do too um um, for sure yeah but that gets us into happy death day to you which came out on the 13th of february of this year Uh, so just now that you're listening to it maybe two weeks ago yep um the synopsis is collegian tree gilman wakes up in a horror to learn that she's stuck in a parallel universe her boyfriend Carter is now with someone else, and her friends and fellow students seem to be completely different versions of themselves. When Tree discovers that Carter's roommate has been altering time, she finds herself once again the target of a masked killer. When the psychopath starts to go after her inner circle, Tree soon realizes that she must die over and over again to save everyone. Um, like I kind of just said, uh, for, so far it's made $42.5 million against a $9 million budget. Um, the last one made up to, it was 125 by the mm-hmm. time it was done in the box office. Um, and I know cause I saw Jason Blum himself like tweet it that it's done very well overseas. Um, but for some reason domestically, it's not doing great. Yeah. Chris Landon posted <clears throat> on Twitter, like after the first weekend and was like, um, unfortunately like a lot of people, like not as many people went and saw the movie as we were hoping for, but I'm just, like holding by like i'm very proud of what i did and that i didn't just produce a generic sequel and like i really love and appreciate all the people who went and supported it this weekend and you could tell it was kind of like a like poor me 
like defending posts that I didn't really think he necessarily needed to do. Yeah. Um, but it's got to be frustrating for him to um, put out a, a sequel and then see it not do as well as the first one, which is usually unheard of. Even if a sequel is deemed not as good, it always overperforms the first yeah. one. Yeah. When did the first one come out? So it came out in October. Oh, there we go. So I think that's a huge factor is that the first one came out in October. And like, yes, February is a good horror month. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think this type of horror. Yeah, I agree. I don't think this is the type of horror movie that people were looking to go see on Valentine's Day. No, I um, think that it's weird to say, but like, I think people like darker. Right. No, um, exactly. And Halloween is when you're looking to have fun with horror movies. So yeah. that's kind of. And you're of, just consuming whatever horror you yeah. can. And it's really mm-hmm. exciting to go to the theater and see a horror movie. And I think when people saw like the trailers for this, um, I, de- I 100% agree. I think if it's a February horror movie, it's got to be a little darker. Because like typically like historically speaking i mean these are the few i can pull off the top of my head like i know they were either january february releases but movies like texas chainsaw and um i think even mama came out around that time like mama i think was like january yeah Yeah. so like because january and february are usually they're called what in the biz they're called dumb dumb months um and like horror has always historically done super well in those months but as far as my memory goes, it's usually darker horror. It's not like horror comedies, really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Devil Inside, Mama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cloverfield. It, yeah, low budget horror. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and this is low budget. Conjuring. It's, glo- it's glossy. It's not. Yeah. Um, 68% on Rotten Tomatoes. Pretty high still for a horror movie, for sure. Yeah, uh, let me remind you that Valentine had 9% last week. Um, and again, I saw them comment on that too. I saw Blum actually comment on like the Rotten Tomato score. And one, Jason Blum, don't fucking worry about Rotten Tomato scores in your movies because it doesn't fucking matter. No. Um, like there Goddamn are billionaire. so many, and also there are so many movies that have horrible Rotten Tomato scores that are financially successful critically like or like loved by fans Mm -hmm. like just because a bunch of journalists and like horror is always that genre where it's like well these are people who don't necessarily understand and especially when you get a movie like this i think 68 is really high considering how different it is from Uh the first one um the critic consensus is a funnier follow-up with a sci-fi bent happy death day to you isn't as fiendishly fresh fresh as its predecessor but fans of the original may still find the sequel worth celebrating um it has a 56 out of 100 on metacritic uh, which is also mixed or average reviews and um uh yeah it says happy death day to you can't quite replicate the feelings of joy and discovery of the original but landon deserves credit for varying the tune while still playing the hits that will please the fans of its predecessors i think it's really funny that these reviews all say something like it's not as uh, it's not like as fresh as the predecessor and it's not the replicate the feelings but if he had just made the first movie over again, they would have been like, Landon does nothing new with like whatever, whatever sequel. He's in an impossible situation. Yeah. Because either he can do what a lot of people wanted and what I honestly wanted was like another slasher with just a different 
scenario and more explanation into the backstory. Mm-hmm. That's normally what we get in a horror sequel. It's like, okay, we've established our killer and our final goal. Now in the second movie, we're going to find out who our killer is and more about their motive, which we maybe didn't get in the first one. And we're going to present it with a bigger group of people and maybe still that same final girl. Instead, but that would would be a sequel that literally presented us the same thing that was already done in the first one. Mm-hmm. Which, depending on how successful the script is and how well that does, could be deemed poor and lazy and not creative. That's almost that's I think harder than what he did do, which was like, okay, I'm not going to make the same movie. I'm going to try and take that charm that wit that ingenuity and the spin on the genre and do it again Mm -hmm. spin it another way so let me take what i spun and then let me add in this like sci-fi backstory Mm -hmm. and then present you with a few things that we pulled from the first one but mostly a different movie you can't win because that is also good but then you're can't help but compare it to the first one you go yeah but this was just so different and this was like so fresh and clean and we didn't really get that but you did you did get this you did get something fresh and clean but maybe not as good I mean I don't think it's as good as the first one um yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I just think he's in an impossible situation, and I think he made the right decision. I do too. I 100 percent do. I think was this was the right direction to go in. I was just kind of looking as while B was talking. I, I kind of wanted to see as far as like Rotten Tomatoes, like how with horror movies specifically, because horror movies other than now Fast and the Furious and Mission Impossible are like well known for having franchise like. You know, you have a long string of movies mm-hmm. when you look. So you look at like Nightmare on Elm Street, and you look at um, Chucky. And yeah, Friday you look at all and of Halloween. Them. And, and so I was kind of trying Hellraiser. to see what the like the, the general consensus is on what their Rotten Tomatoes and like how their score averages usually do. But I can't seem to find. I, Scream is interesting because Scream Two is actually rated higher than Scream One. Oh, here we go. So, yeah, Scream 2 is rated higher than the Scream 1, and then 3 is the lowest, and 4 goes back up to 60%, but it's not as high as 1 or 2. Nightmare on Elm Street, um, all, like, New Nightmare was 78, but before that, Final Nightmare is 20%, 5 is 32, uh, 4 is 55, 3 is 74, 2 is 38, and 1 is 94. It's the only one certified fresh, actually. And then the reboot was 15. Um and that yeah I bet, so I, it's just it's interesting because i bet if you look because i think horror movies it's one of the hardest things to do because it is hard to make something fresh when you're you're just it's a story of someone killing someone yeah. so like most of the time you have to have more creative kills or you have to do like certain things i think what landon did was really brave because he took he could have done that and i still would have loved that movie because i love slasher franchises but i think what he did it was very brave and i still like this movie a lot um because he took something that he very easily could have been like okay we're gonna redo the first movie and like you said do a twist on it and like expand the backstory but he was like we're gonna make this weird Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I, I, I definitely applaud him for following through on that. And I know, again, because I follow him on Twitter and like have read, like it was a choice that he decided to take. Like He had the option to go that other route, and mm-hmm. he was like, that's not the story I felt that needed to be told. Mm-hmm. What do you think of this poster? Um, I... <clears throat> have mixed feelings. So I, as a poster in general, I really like it. So it's Babyface um, holding out um, a red velvet cupcake and a two with the candle being blown out, um, and then you know type at the bottom, pretty pretty generic and color scheme. Everything looks very Blum. Like you look at this and you're like, okay, this is a Blumhouse movie. Yep. Um, it's very in line with their design aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, my only complaint is, is that this poster seems more appropriate for the first movie. Um, and I even made that comment when we like, why is it a sheet cake and not a cupcake when that's like the whole plot of the first movie yep. is about the poison cupcake. Yeah. And so now for the second movie, they finally give me the poster I wanted, but the cupcake has nothing to do with this movie. Yep. And so I'm like, well, fuck. I feel like this was like an outtake from the first one that they didn't. They just throw two on. Yeah. And they're like, well, yeah, that was really good. So let's do that. That's my only complaint is it's way more appropriate for the first movie. Doesn't really make sense for this one. Um, which almost leads to, I know there's been like some complaints of like misleading marketing for this film that it's presented like the you know baby face killer is very prominent and like the main like the trailers are really cut where it's all the scenes with him and that's really not a big part of this one no at not. all yeah. and i kind of agree with that i i agree to an extent like the baby I do. I agree to the extent that the babyface killer is not a not a huge part. I don't agree that the tone of the movie matches the tone of the trailer. Like you, like the general the overall tone of the movie does match the movie. Matches, oh no, yeah, for sure. Yeah, totally like, agree. Like to, if like you, you don't go into it thinking like this is a serious slash. No 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 yeah exactly like and you might go into it going like oh I expected to see babyface more yeah. but you definitely like there's no part of me that was like. I could tell from the trailer immediately, like, oh, this is way more comedy uh-huh. than the first one. Yeah. Like, I knew it's that right pushing away. pushing it even yeah. farther. Yes. Yeah. So, it's, I just think it's really funny. Like, I'm going to go back and listen to my part where I talk about the poster on the first one and complain about the sheet cake, because I, I don't know, like, where was this poster then? Um, the tagline is, death makes a killer comeback, which is solid. I mean, yeah. It would fit most sequels. <laughs> uh, Except for it, it's perfect for this one because the killing is really like kind of Final Destination death. Right. Death as the killer and yeah. not physically an actual. There is an actual killer, but then there's also not. There's this like the story is more paranormal about, is death. more about tree dying. Yes. Like death in general. Death as an entity and not a killer so solid tagline good job um direct sequel it's our first direct sequel we know halloween is also kind of a direct sequel but oh, kind yeah. of not so i know i was like yay it's our first like sequel and then ryan's like yeah but what about halloween and i was like oh yeah, yeah. so halloween 2018 is still like a direct, it's a direct sequel, sequel but i would say also it's a reboot sequel it's like a reboot sequel and also i would say we've covered the first one so this is definitely the first sequel where we've covered the first movie 
Yes. Um, so <sighs> it's still that. It's still a first. I'm trying to hold on to yes. a first while we still have them. Uh, Landon has said he has an idea for a third in his head, and Blum has said if enough people see this movie, we're going to make a third movie. We want to make a third movie. So... Uh, we'll I don't, see. yeah. We'll uh, see how it does. Yeah, I don't know if, where it hasn't opened yet, but uh, it's not unsuccessful by any means. 9 million to 42, so you figure 18, so it's still double easily its budget, but not what usually happens. Yeah, and what usually happens for a sequel, if they green light a third one after the sequel underperforms, the third one almost always extra underperforms because people don't get, don't go see it because they didn't go see the second one. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of like a vicious cycle. Even if the third one like will redeem the series and is better and getting better reviews, doesn't matter. Yeah, because people, people didn't, see, didn't the see the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't feel like the first one definitely felt super hopeful or like felt confident that we'd get a sequel. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. This one I'm like... I don't think so. And I think they, they left it in a fun enough place. I They left it open for another sequel. Oh, yeah. But I think they explained enough in this one. I think if they went in the third, it'd be full sci-fi. Oh. Like, that movie would be so full sci-fi. Yeah. I don't know how they'd have another choice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bear McCreary did the score. We love him. Yes. He's great. Um, since the last time we talked about him, he's done Puka, uh, Cloverfield Paradox, and he is doing the upcoming Godzilla King of the Monsters. With he is, Mike Flanagan. Uh, or not or, Mike uh, Flanagan. Mike Doherty. Um, yeah, Doherty. Yeah, from Trick or Treat. Um, Puka was um, part of Hulu's... Into the Dark. Into the Dark series with Blumhouse, and then obviously Cloverfield Paradox um, was that Netflix, Netflix one. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's, Our boy, he's, staying in the genre. Yeah, he's great. I love genre composers. He nails it. Um he did set, I mean, I loved, I think again, I named that as like one of my favorite like composing moments, like score moments that we had from the movies we covered last year. And he, in a movie that was so comical mm-hmm. and so sci-fi, when there were like the tense moments like horror beats. and horror yeah. beats... They existed because of his score mm-hmm. and because of his talents. Yep. And I just, I mean, it's incredible. And then what he does for all the other moments are great. But he he can take a movie that is not horror. Well, not horror, but not scary and make you feel tense instantly. And that's what he did in this movie. Mm-hmm. Where the other one, he built up and built and built and built. And this one, it would be like funny, like montage with freaking Paramore playing. And I was yeah. hella into it. Yeah. And then the next scene, it's just like you instantly feel uncomfortable because you're like, oh shit. Like, it's about to get serious. He knows how to flip the switch very well. He does. Um, Um, And his horror stuff, like like you said, it's it's so classically horror, and mm -hmm. I love it. Like, it fits slasher so Mm -hmm. well. Like, he knows how to do a slasher. He knows how to do all of it. The man loves a violin. Yes, he does. And... Um, Because Puka's great, too, and, like, I'm sure Godzilla will be awesome. Bear McCurry's the best. Uh, I, I love that we have someone that... It's always funny because sometimes I feel like you'll go through gaps where it's like, oh, I feel like there hasn't been like a composer that I like really loved in the 90s or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you know your people from, well, John Carpenter had to go and ruin it for everyone, but um, by being amazing. But, you know, you have your Carpenters and your, um, oh, I forget the guy who did Child's Play, but he's really famous too. 
Uh, but it's cool to yeah, have, I mean, like, like, John Williams. And, oh, well, yeah, yeah obviously. Like and John Danny Elfman. And, and Hans Zimmer, yeah. But mm-hmm. it's good to have a horror guy. Like, to have our genre guy. Um, Christopher Landon directed. He directed the first one. He also did Burning Palms, which um, was, like, a little indie movie. And then Structural he... Structural yeah. Uh, yeah. And he did Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse, which fits because it's also horror comedy. It's very, like, tonally similar. And he did Paranormal Activity, The Marked Ones, which is probably my favorite in the series. It's the biggest departure from, like, the feel of the other movies. I think it's the only one I plan on watching. Because it's the only one I hear about where I think, like, I think I'll, I think I'll like that one. It basically is, like... Yeah superpowers yeah i i think i've talked about it before but like i watched the first paranormal activity and like i i mean it's just really not that's not my subgenre for whatsoever and so i just like i mean i'm happy that it 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 is the foundation that built blumhouse 100 percent. oh yeah if that if paranormal activity did not become a fucking ridiculous success we would not be getting all these amazing horror movies so i'll always be thankful to that series for it but it's not for me but the marked ones i feel like is something especially with christopher landon being involved i mean although he wrote two, two through five. five yeah so i don't know how i feel about that but, but he also wrote disturbia which is one of our faves love that movie yeah. why were we talking about oh because we were watching never cry oh werewolf my God. yeah we were watching never cry werewolf and then we started talking about rear window and then we yeah. started talking about disturbia so i love disturbia and i don't i we probably talked about this when we talked about happy death day the first time but i don't remember him being the writer on that i don't either I'm so sure, maybe I yeah. we maybe we talked about it I don't know but I was pleasantly surprised again when I saw that um, I love that movie. Um, Landon actually wrote this one. The first one was written by Scott, Scott Lobdell, um, who comic is a, book yeah, guy. He's a comic book writer, but um, Landon wrote this one, so it's based on characters from Scott Lobdell. But Landon was this the was all writer. Him. Again, I mean, pretty much the exact same cast. Um, we just get to see more of them. Jessica Roth as Tree again. Um, yeah. Israel Broussard as Carter. We get to see his roommate, Ryan. Um, a lot more. A That's lot more. Fivu. And then we get introduced some, like, some of Ryan's, like, colleagues, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, Suraj Sharma as Samar Gosh, Sarah Yarkin as Dream Morgan. And then we get um, Ruby and Rachel back. And then we also get um, the professor. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and his wife. Um, we get her parents yeah, her again, mom is in and the her movie. mom is actually in this one. So it was kind of nice to see like characters like Danielle's like really um, expanded upon in this. Yeah, one I'd as say well. her and Ryan are expanded on a lot. Yes, and then what's nice too is this movie does a really good job of um, making you love your main characters even more. Like Jessica Roth and Israel Broussard were both fantastic, mm-hmm. um, and like Israel Broussard is actually. I think he's a little more static in the first movie. Um, I think he has a lot more room to grow in this one, just like everyone else says. But we we said it already, but Jessica Roth is just, holy crap, man. She just, she carries these she movies. She does. It's ridiculous. Like, if she was it's, not so damn likable, ugh, this movie wouldn't work. It wouldn't. And, like, I don't know if it's because of her energy and her, and, like, 
I mean, like we said, we follow Christopher Landon on all social media. I mean, he just sings oh her God, praises. Yeah. And he got very, very lucky yeah. to get her in these films. Because I don't know if it's because she's just this ray of charisma and perfection that everybody else kind of feels stale next to her. Or if they're really just kind of stale actors. But... It's something else. It's mm. like really quite an experience. She could be in the movie alone, honestly. Yeah, no, no. She, she really could. Like, she really, I want to see her more because she is a talent. Mm-hmm. Like, she is one of those people that you recognize and you're like, oh, that is like, that is a special actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a whodunit and it's definitely a sci-fi movie. Yeah. It's hardcore sci-fi movie. Um, the killer in this one is... Uh, not that person. <laughs> um, so the killer is, um, David Gilbin and... No, no, no. No, those uh, are her parents. Uh, Gregory. Yes, Gregory, Gregory and Butler Stephanie Butler. and Stephanie Butler. So the professor from the first one and his wife that he is having, that he's cheating on with. In the first one, it's Tree and Lori, and in um, this one, it's just Lori. Um, they're almost inconsequential i don't know it's interesting okay so this movie's weird this movie gets real weird um it really fully embraces the sci-fi aspect of it and basically what we find out is the reason that the time loop happened is because ryan and his um his classmates are working on this thing called sissy which is um kind of like a Flux capacitor. Pretty much, yeah. It's like an electro blah, blah, blah. I don't know, some science jargon. Some time travel jargon. And what they were trying to do was prove something, but what they ended up doing was, or they were trying to, like, stop time, I think. Trying to, I think, I think the whole premise was, like, within the field that they created, they would slow time down or stop time, but what they ended up doing was looping time. But... Something happened with it where it didn't just loop time, it jumped realities. So Tree gets transported into a multiple... A multiverse. A multiverse. Yeah. This movie is a multiverse-like theory movie. And so now she is in a multiverse while the time loop is happening. Mm -hmm. So not only is she having to deal with the time loop and discover what's happening... She's in a parallel universe yeah so the things she knew from the first one are no longer in effect so she now has to once again figure out who the killer is um and so it does play not to save herself this time yeah out of like the goodness of it's affecting the other people in this universe so like such a big part of this film really is like they like Ryan said it's weird because the killers don't really matter in this one because they're not affecting Tree in the same way as they were originally. What Why they matter is that they're trying to stop the time loop and if she doesn't stop the killers in this universe, even if she leaves it, people are going to die that she cares about in her universe. And so she has to deal with sort of those consequences of going, do I let Carter and Lori die? Um, do I, you know, let this happen because it doesn't really matter to me because I'm going to go back to my own universe where I've already discovered who the killer is. That's something she has to do. So that's how the killers play a part in this one is that Tree is not the subject, mm-hmm. but it's still her world 
if that makes sense. Yeah, and she's also has grown to the point where she just wants to save these people to save these people. Mm -hmm. And then she also, there's a lot of butterfly effect stuff where, like, she thinks that she has done something, but then someone else ends up dying. So she keeps killing herself to try to fix things. And then, yeah, and then to top it all off, um, in this reality, her mom is alive. And so she doesn't know if she even wants to go back to the old reality. So she is trying to stop all of the killers while also deciding if she wants to go back to her old reality. Or yeah, not. or if she wants to live in this reality that's not really hers, but could be hers. Yeah. Um, yeah, all complicated. <clears throat> Fucking time travel, man. Yeah. Normally I'm very anti-time travel. Um, this one works for Yeah, me. no, I, I agree. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of like time travel stuff. It doesn't feel as time travel as like multiverse-y, I guess. Um, but there are a lot of references to like Back to the Future and Groundhog's uh-huh. Day, obviously, because she's living yeah. the same day over and over so, again. So, and that's the thing that I really love about this too, is like the first one was hardcore Groundhog's Day and this one was fucking hardcore Back, Back to, to the, the Future. Back to the Future, yeah. And so it's taking these iconic like time movies and like paying homage to them with a slasher filter mm-hmm. which is really cool yeah and they do pay like even deeper homage to back to the future there is a scene where a tree jumps in a wood chipper and um it's from biff's tree removal which biff is the main antagonist of the back to the future franchise um and his famous line is why don't you make like a tree and get out of here so it's it's in reference to that so that's fun fun little easter egg yeah um so they they this i called the killers Again? Yes. 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 Again. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I called it in the first one too, um, which doesn't matter in this series really. Um, they cu- they're they the killers you f- kind of expect to be in the first one, like your suspects in the first one. I did read something that it didn't, one of the trivias I read actually said that his, I think it, it made it sound like they were originally the killers in the first one uh-huh. or or the wife was involved in the killings in the first one, but it got negative test reactions, so they cut gotcha. it. Yeah. And so they switched to this one. Pretty much, yeah. Um, so the, I mean, the motive kind of makes sense. The motive's a little it's goofy. It's a little goofy. The, the, okay, him being the killer makes sense. His, His wife, wife being the killer, she's like, you'd think I'd let him, like, cheat on me and not do anything about Or, like... Uh, what was it? Or like, she's saying some line about, like, let him get with this, like, young ass and, like, not do anything about it. And I'm like, you're so, you're not mad at him? You're killing them? It's a little bizarre. That that felt a little shoehorned, I yeah. think, just to be, like, an extra twist. Right, because we knew there was multiple parts where, like, you knew there had to be two killers. Yeah, and and, and I do agree, like, yeah, they, they had numerous scenes where you could tell there were two killers. Yeah. Um, and... You can call that it's going to be him pretty early on because he's uh, such a major part of the first one and he's like very ancillary, but still in the peripheral of this movie. Yeah. So you're like, so you're well, like, they're okay. not focusing on him a lot. Yeah. And she has already like kind of figured out it's not these other people. But then like, I think their twit quote unquote twist was like, and the wife. And you're like, uh, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's, it's it a feels wonky. a little, a little wonky. The motive doesn't really make sense, but they are going after Lori and trying to do exact same as the first one, except for it's not Lori being the killer. This time in this universe, it's only Lori cheating um, with the professor. The professor decides that it's she works at the hospital. They're going to blame it on the killer, whatever Tombs. his name is. Tombs. They're going to blame it on Tombs. But his wife is also going to help 
Yeah, kill. it's a little odd. And so then they do. They go to, they kill Lori and blame it on tombs in the hospital. Um, and Carter, and sometimes in the situation, Carter gets involved because he's trying to save Lori. Um, and he's dating Danielle in this and universe. And Danielle, and it's like, oh, it's a whole thing. Yeah. But this, I don't love it. It's... I think the Lori thing was much better. I mean, They've always been very superficial reasons. Their motive has never really made that sense. It's always been this, like, if you were having an affair, you were a bad roommate. And you were sleeping with a guy. That's Lori's motive in the first one. Like, you were sleeping with a guy I liked. And you're well, more you were popular than me. I was also sleeping with. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. In and yeah. you weren't very nice to me. So I'm killing you. Yeah. Like, well, all right. That's a little weird. And this one feels kind of a little weird. Um, but I guess it gets away with it because it's not the main focus. Yeah. Uh, the, the main focus is like tree trying to figure things out so she can get back. So like most of the kills we get, unlike the first one, this is like where it feels very different. You can tell it's like hardcore comedy. And by the way, there is a scene in here that is full blown Looney Tunes, um, where Danielle pretends to be blind. So Uh they can steal the Dean's keys. And like, Uh and what's great is like, I will give Landon credit. It doesn't feel out of place. Like you're not watching it. You're like, what the fuck is this? But like, it fits the movie, but it, I mean, be, be aware. This is a very cartoony movie. Uh huh. Um, because the whole, one of the death scenes is so, I mean, a lot of the way she kills herself are oh, so it's cartoony. so, yeah. It's yeah. like so Looney Tunes. It is. Um, That's a great comparison. So, yeah. Um, I kind of lost myself there. Where's it going? I don't know. I think I was trying to get to the kills. Um, <laughs> oh, that's what I was saying. Was the kills in the first one are very much like Lori getting or um, Tree getting killed, but in this one they're very much Tree killing herself because right. she's resetting the timeline herself. So that was she's like taking. She control. only like really does that in the first one, I think, once, and it's when Carter dies, um, and she realizes she she's like, oh, reset. I need to reset. But this one, she's like doing it numerous times because she knows that she can't. She. It's the only way she can stop the time loop is to memorize this formula and she's the only one who has a memory when the day resets yeah and so she has to keep killing she voluntarily kills herself instead of getting stalked because i i guess it's another thing that gets a little complicated if she doesn't kill herself she will get killed by the mass no only if they're at, near the hospital it's only because she's trying to do this while also trying to save the people in the hospital because that's something carter kind of brings up like what about the people in the hospital and she's like it's not my world or like yeah. whatever and so in this one it, she's like because her character arc in the first one has already finished mm-hmm. she's a much more altruistic character in this movie yeah. so she's like i need to save these people while also fixing my own shit and also trying to make sure that I'm not at the hospital. And, like, so she's trying to do all these things. Oh, yeah, so that's why she's killing herself so that they don't die in the hospital. Yeah, yeah. because she's trying to and fix the time loop. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a lot of the body count is tree. Um, the first kill in the movie, we get, actually, we follow Ryan for, like, the first five minutes of the movie, and he's the first kill. He's stabbed in the chest. Um, and then, th- then again, this is like starts trees like huge loop. Um, she's chased off a hospital building. She and then there's a whole suicide montage. Um, she says she ends up dying eleven times, but I think we only see seven on screen. Um, but there's definitely she, and they're all like this is set to um, f- 
uh, what's that Paramore song? Hard Times. Hard Times. Um, it's all set to that song, which is great. Um, and like Great album. And Tree is just like, by at this point, she, like, this is old hat, you know? So, like, she knows what's going on. So she is just, like, buying into it. Like, she puts on fucking jogging gear to run and jump into a, a, wood, chipper. a, a wood chipper. And she electrocutes herself in a bathtub. And she... Um, like jumps off the the same the tower that she jumps off in the first or like inside of in the first one um and there's i mean there's straight up a scene where because she's so disgusted by danielle and carter's relationship that she goes skydiving and jumps out where she knows they'll be kissing at one point in the day and jumps out in a bikini with no parachute and And like lands in front of them yeah and they're like making out and her blood splatters all over them yeah um it's it's definitely like Oh, yeah, she walks into a store and drinks drain cleaner. Um, yeah. She, uh, yeah, there's so many things. Yeah. Um, there's very few, and they're definitely played for laughs, which is uh-huh. a little morbid, but it, it again, it works. Um, I think part of it is because this movie is so, like, it's weird, but it's, like, bubblegum pop. Like, it's so, like, glossy and, like, like really, like, neat like like sleek production and like the you know paramore's playing and like the way again that jessica roth carries herself um it really sells it well and i also think in defense like i think this is a big complaint is that this makes it way less of a slasher because she's not and that is that's sad like i i don't it's such a bittersweet thing because i think what was done in this film was necessary for the arc of tree and i'll talk about that in a second but because of that we lose a lot of the slasher elements Mm -hmm. but i think her like ryan said like we already get her story arc which was one of the strongest thing about the first one in happy death day and this one she's already grown as a person she's also learned how to she is a fucking take charge final girl like Mm -hmm. she's just like fuck it there's a few moments like where carter tries to help her and she's like nope i'm gonna do it myself like i don't really need you to help me um she's very empowered um which is amazing and i love it and i love that in a final girl that is why sid is my favorite final girl because that's very much who she is she learns from what happens to her and instead of being a victim she becomes a hero um and that's not it's not really like Lori's path and it's not necessarily, you know, yeah. it's not always the final girl path. I think Sid really was the first one to be like, fuck, I'm going to learn from this and I'm going to be a badass because of it. Yeah. If they had explored it more with Nancy, Nancy does a lot of that in the first nightmare, like very much owns it. And like, I mean, she draws Freddy out and like makes the yeah. traps and stuff, but that's it. Yeah. Well, um, it's because we don't get her. Throughout. We don't get her arc, yeah. And then by um, the time we do, we get New Nightmare, which right. is super meta. Yeah. Well, no, she's in. She's in the third one too, I think. Yeah, but, yeah. she's in one of them where yeah. she like pops back in. Yeah. Um, but this one, her killing herself—that's her taking charge yep. and going like, "I don't need to be chased down. Yep. I need to. I have a problem, and I'm gonna solve it." And fuck all y'all, I'm going to figure it out, and I'm going to have a little fun doing it. Yeah. So I think that's really important to who Tree is, and who she's grown to be, and what she has to figure out in the arc of this film, Mm -hmm. which is what is more important to her, going back to her real life, and 
or sort of taking the slightly easier route and staying in this um, alternate reality where she has her mom mm-hmm. and she doesn't have Carter, but that's like not the end of it. But she doesn't have her own memories. Like her memories don't fit in this world. Yeah. Um, and so that's a big thing she has to deal with and struggle with. Um, and I think her doing the suicide deaths um, are appropriate and Oh yeah, they, they like you said. She it gives her, it emboldens her character, yeah. um, and it gives her like she is fully in charge of like her destiny at mm-hmm. pretty much at this point. Yeah. Um. There are still like a couple solid slasher moments, like that hospital scene. I think where you first find, or when um, there's two of them, uh-huh. and she has to like shoot the tank, yeah. and she's like, "If I'm going down, you're going down with me." And then also that I do think that first scene with Ryan, mm-hmm. where he's like being the first and second scene with Ryan. Yeah, the first yeah. scene and then the se- where he's being stalked is super good. With like all that- the costumes yeah, and stuff. Love that scene. Love it. Um, Very slasher. Yeah. Excellent stuff. And the scene where the first time he dies too, where he, even when he goes into that just dark lab yeah. and he's like, hello, and he thinks his friends are messing with him. It's like, yeah. that's solid too because yeah. um, Bear McCreary does a great job with the score there. So there's some solid, sla- there is some solid slasher stuff, but it's just, such a backseat to the sci-fi element of this movie well and i think what you get to (laughs) is with that opening scene with ryan you're kind of getting what i think it's like landon's way of saying this is what you would have gotten if i would have made the same movie twice yeah so here's ryan and we get maybe 15 20 minutes yeah we get two kills we get an awesome like set piece where they're like in on the college campus Mm -hmm. and then they go down and it's like all the different mascots and a bunch of baby facing oh yeah that scene was great too. no that seems so great yeah 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 um and then and then it's like okay there's your first 20 minutes he's like okay there's that movie there's the same movie I already made with Ryan as the main character. And then instantly they pull off the mask and it's then it's Ryan. And yeah. then you're like, what the fuck? And then that's where it shifts. And it's like, okay, now we're in a full-blown sci-fi movie. And so I think that's sort of important to point out and be like, we got it. Yeah. But then here's really something way more expansive for you. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, it does... It- it, that makes so much sense that he's like, this is what you would, could have had, but mm-hmm. this is where we're going. Yeah. Um, Tree is obviously our final girl, and I think we have talked numerous times about how much yeah. we love her. Um, she's definitely, like, I can safely say after two movies that she's, oh boy, she might be top three final girls for yeah. me. Like, I don't know if anyone will ever beat Sid, and I am a huge, I'm a huge Nancy I'm Nori a huge, fan too, yeah. but... Man, Tree is just so fucking good. Yeah. Um, well, and it's because of her arc. And they do a few, like, a few things in this movie that I think damages her arc a little or doesn't really feel, like, quite They're just appropriate. Weak. Yeah. They're just weak. Mm-hmm. Where it just feels like, okay, you're trying to... They try and hammer in her romance with Carter a little bit too much where mm-hmm. there's so many more valuable um, points that they bring out um, in her arc where it's like, okay, you don't need to make this all about Carter. Like, there's these other elements you've touched on and that are way more powerful stories to, like, narrate. Yeah. Um. But besides that, like, the path she takes makes her, um, you know, an incredibly strong final girl that you're yeah. going to root for. Oh, absolutely. No matter what. And you want, you want we want to see her in another situation where she's trying to try... 
you know, survive and track down a killer in whatever way that looks. Yeah, I, I definitely love, like, that she very much in this movie, it's kind of like, it's kind of like Ripley in Alien to Aliens, where it's like, oh, I, got, I know what this shit is. Like, I, I've, I've dealt with this, so let me, like, I'm going to take charge, and, like, I'm ready for it. Um, my favorite kill was probably, I mean, that skydiving one's really good, but I'm just a big fan of uh, wood chipper kills, so uh-huh. I think I have to go. I just very much enjoyed the, like, jogging outfit, jumping head first. Um, and then, of course, now that I know it's a Back to the Future reference, I love it even a little more because that's one of my favorite movies of all time. So I'm going to go the wood chipper. Um, and I think I'll, I'm going to go with like her drinking the drain cleaner um, just because I think it's like the pinnacle of comedic perfection with Jessica herself because she's like in sweats and she's like in the middle of the aisle and then somebody's like rolling past with a cart. And then, like, looks at her and she, like, cheers with it. And then just starts, like, pounding pounding it. it. And it's just, I mean, just those little moments are just so... It's the little things she does, like, the cheers. Like, the delivery of it. Yeah, like, the the delivery of the cheers or when she does the finger gun to the head, like, all that stuff. There's something about the way she carries herself that makes it so much better than if someone else were to do it. Yeah. And I think I love that kill, too, because all of these, this is another thing, like, I think to give credit to Landon, and these are all, like, famous slasher kills that mm. happen mm. in a variety of slasher movies, wood chippers and drain cleaner and and electrocuting in a tub. We yeah. I think we've covered all of these kills in other movies we've covered. But her doing them to herself yeah. and being, like, I think he did a really good job of choosing kills that weren't just, like wouldn't appear in a slasher film oh yeah these are yeah. all things that would appear in Except a slasher the movie well but that's like her yeah. dig at daniel yeah harder like no exactly yeah and um, then we still get the solid like blood spot. but then yeah and then he gets to add like a little gore in there um so i like that too because we've seen a dream killer kill we see it in urban legends yeah and we um, um i mean chipper was that silent night deadly night I feel it's like one of them. Uh, yeah. I think it's either... It has to be. Yeah. I think it's Silent Night, Deadly Night. So it's like we see these kills in so much darker ways. And so to see her do it and like drink the Drano and it not be shoved down Michael Rosenbaum's throat. It's just... <laughs> it's just great. I love it. I I don't know. Um, it's a sequel, obviously, in the horror landscape. I really think this one's going to take some time, but it's going to resonate just as well as the first one. Yeah. Especially among like horror fans. Well, and the thing that's... it's. We live in such a weird time because we're instantly trying to analyze things. Mm-hmm. And already, like, this film is, like, I read an article where it's, like, why is Happy Death Day to you not doing as well as the first one? And, like, it's such a great movie and this is what we have to see. It's so hard because we're constantly getting saturated by reviews and numbers and and we don't have time to separate ourselves from it. But I definitely agree with Ryan. It's, like, I think horror fans like it. Yeah. And I think... They recognize that it's the right decision and it was the right movie to make. I do genuinely think there's disappointment that we didn't get a, a mm-hmm. true blue slasher, mm-hmm. and I am totally on board with that. I've had like mixed feelings, and like we watched it on the 13th. Did we watch yeah, it? We yeah, we saw it. We saw it the the night it came out. So we've had you know 10 days to think about it or whatever, and. 
I didn't know I knew I liked it but I didn't quite knew know how I felt about it like right away and like the more I think about it and like analyzing it the more I'm like no this was the movie that needed to get made and this was the movie that made sense yeah am I bummed out I didn't get more of a slasher uh-huh yeah I we're, am we're slasher fans I'm well, obviously and also we when happy death day came out we're like yeah slasher boom yeah and especially then with Halloween and yeah. I'm like yeah new slasher I'm like this isn't really a slasher yeah and so that's that's a little disappointing. So I get that. And I get that from the horror community that they're like, this isn't what we were expecting. Um, but I think with a little time or like a little time away from the film and a little time away from comparison to the first one, people are like going to look for it on their shelf. Yeah. And want and find themselves like wanting to rewatch it because it is that fun. Yeah. Uh, here's the hard part. <laughs> we have to rank this movie. So if you go to um, our website, keepscreaming.com slash the dash list, you can find our rankings of all of the movies, which um, uh, this will be our 33rd movie. Um, mm-hmm. Number one is still My Bloody Valentine from 1981, followed by Black Christmas, Halloween, I Know What You Did Last Summer, and The Burning. Those are round out our top five. Our bottom five are rounded out by Blood Knight, Legend of Mary Hatchet, Mischief Knight from 2014, Cry Wolf, Girls Night Out, and April Fool's Day. Now, <laughs> as we've said a couple times, this movie isn't really a slasher um it barely fits in the category yeah uh so because of that i think we have to rank it where we have ranked our other movies that are barely slashers we do and so i would put it at the top i would say 31 because or i mean i would say 29 above cry wolf because it still has enough there's still whodunit aspect. We still have a solid final girl. We do still have kills in it. Mm-hmm. No one, literally, no one dies in Cry Wolf, and the one death is a bullet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we still, you know, like the first kill we get is a slasher kill um, mm-hmm. with Ryan, and so there's still enough. And there are in Carter and Lori. Well, Lori dying, and then Carter and Lori dying would have died in slasher scenarios it's just our final girl literally saves them yeah and then also the movie as much as i truly enjoy it and adore jessica roth and tree is a sci-fi movie oh yeah it has to go down here yeah for sure it is like because it's not a podcast about what movies do we like no and the horror movies we like because if it was that there'd be a lot more movies on here yeah um they'd be in a much different order yeah this is slasher movies well yeah and happy death day the first one is at number six which is extremely high considering we have 32 movies on this list Mm -hmm. um but it's it's that high because we recognize that it was 100% 100% a slasher, and even though all those kills don't happen necessarily, they do. Yeah, and they also... Like, and they follow the slasher... F- she They break the slasher formula in a good enough way that justifies it being better. So I think it's interesting, yeah, looking at Happy Death Day 1 that high, and then to look at this one and put it that low, it's because Happy Death Day 1 is a slasher movie with a sci-fi twist. This is a sci-fi movie... With a slasher with, filter. With a slasher filter, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. Because, um, you know, we still have her killer in the mask and everything, but, like, yeah, it is a sci-fi movie. And that, up. and it takes a backseat. The slasher, the slasher elements that we do get take a backseat. Yeah. Um, so, you know, hopefully, <sighs> we got to hope, like we always do with these movies, and we'll mention it every time we bring it up, that 
hopefully you can go back and listen to these episodes at some point and realize like they really like this movie because mm-hmm. trust me we yeah it. we love cry wolf for all the problems it has and like we like april fool's day a lot uh-huh. um but why did we rank girls night out lower oh because it's an actual slasher movie uh-huh. i was like why is it higher than april fool's uh-huh. day i'm like oh because it's an, actual, it's an actual, slasher. actual slasher yeah but it's, it's just that just... bad that bad um so this will be our new 30 um so there we go happy death day to you at number 30 um which yeah cry wolf is now number 31 girls night out is 32 and april fool's day is number 33 um i don't know if we had something planned b's popping a baby out soon yeah we are going to um in the next month or so um do some extra episodes um so like we said i'm going on maternity leave for um like end of april to may-ish um which in the podcast world for us is really only like two or three episodes um so we're going to record a couple of those so um those will be just missing our pop culture check-in they're just going to be um episodes um about films we chose um and those will go up, so you will still get episodes every two weeks, even while I am sleeping every two okay. hours. And if um, he needs more time, we have people who are more than happy to fill in as guests. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so, I, yeah, I don't know. We've been pretty planned out. I think, let's see, our next episode, oh, geez, March. Yeah. Where's the time going? Um, I don't think we have one planned. No, I don't I think we do either. So, we, we've been doing a lot of, like, newer stuff. Yeah. So, think we'll probably dive back into some old stuff yeah Um, i mean it's we just gotta give ourselves a break from the 80s occasionally but what's nice is we have some we do have some on deck like hell night is something we want to cover or hell fest and yeah uh, and um ones yeah that paul wesley one um, oh killer movie (laughs) and killer movie which is like an aughts or late 90s so so that's that's nice we have some of those some of those so we can reach back into the 80s a little bit if we need to or I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll figure. Yeah, we'll we're find gonna find something. some stuff. So I mean, well, we're not going anywhere. We're. I don't know. We'll be around. Yeah, we're doing some stuff. He's just having a baby. It's not a big deal. No, it's, not it's like fine. Life changing, <laughs> massive event or anything. Um, yeah. So we'll be back in two weeks with something, and um, we'll let you know. Um, Robert Prudhom, thanks for reaching out and letting us know. I, I, we don't check the email for this account a lot, but um. You did email us and let us know, like, that you loved the oh, giveaway stuff. Oh, yes. So, the yeah, giveaway stuff awesome. from our video episode. Yeah. And I would. So, like, we are 100%. I have, like, a couple more things I have to watch before we record our action movie mm-hmm. bonus episode. But we are going to do that before I go to maternity leave because um, I've been super amped up lately about it. And I'm getting excited to do like my final couple series to I think fill in any gaps. Yeah. Um you need to watch the Borns, right? That's all Yeah. I have to do some Borns and I have to do some 007 stuff and then I'm gonna feel confident yeah. about analyzing action films and dirty Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. <laughs> um and so that should be fun. And like yeah, if you guys have any um things that you want us to do like bonus stuff too we did a giveaway for happy death day tickets this week yeah it was um cool yeah so we're looking to it's a second year we're doing more stuff so we're always looking to kind of like do more stuff with the podcast absolutely yeah um and then if you have any suggestions let us know because we'll kind of just be like it's 
um, kind of a crapshoot. Like we're just gonna take a look at stuff. Um, B and I both got this really cool book called the the slasher book or the teenage slasher book or something like that. I'll have to look. We'll talk about it on the next episode. But we both got it, and it's literally f- like the first slasher up through Halloween 2018. So um, that's really cool too. So we will be back in two weeks. And until then, keep screaming.